This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Are you the type of person who loves to treat yourself? You know, sometimes you just want to buy yourself a coffee, a fancy coffee. Sometimes you want to get a little extra legroom on the plane. You know what I mean? So if you ever treat yourself to the top options, other places like that, then why are we settling when we're finding a doctor? I know it's easy to fall into that rut, but your health is so important. Enter ZocDoc. ZocDoc is a place where you can find and book tens of thousands of top tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. There's no more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. You know we hate that. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, which is so helpful. You can see who's located near you and who's available and who can treat basically any condition you're searching for. Plus, a typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 to 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. When I moved to LA years ago, I discovered ZocDoc because I was so tired of having to call all these different offices and wait. It took hours sometimes to figure out which doctor in town could help me and which one took my insurance, but not anymore with ZocDoc. I was able to find everything from a psychiatrist to a GI doctor, and I did that all through ZocDoc. And the app has only gotten better over time. I still use it. I still love it. I always recommend it to people, whether you have phone anxiety like me or not. It couldn't get easier to find a doctor with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash drink and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash drink. ZocDoc.com slash drink. Oh, we almost didn't record video and that have would have fun. been very, very silly. That was- well, we've done it before and I'm sure we'll do it again. It's not the first time uh, people don't seem happy when it happens. So I'll yeah. try to keep us on the camera. <laughs> Thank God. Okay. Well, hi, Christine. How are you? Hello, Em. I'm doing splendidly. How are you doing? I'm good. You seem a little sleepy. Are you a little sleepy? Uh, I'm kind of always a little sleepy. I changed my antidepressant dosage so i'm kind of struggling (laughs) interesting what's the dealio with that and being pregnant are they is that like a are they worried about controversial so i try to uh keep keep it keep it on the dl but you know here we are um oh your doctor said it was okay yes 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 yes. people have very strong opinions but everything seems fine for now and Baby's Look, just fine. because you're pregnant doesn't mean depression ended. So you still gotta gotta figure yeah, it out for yourself. Yeah, I had a not so great appointment with somebody. I'm not gonna mention where I was or whatever, but she told me maybe I should consider praying. And oh, I was like, well, I was wow. about to say for God's sake, That's but you know, cool. No, thank you. Um, huh. So okay. she was very. It was not a comfortable experience. So. But um, so anyway, that's why I'm a little sleepy, but I'm I'm here for you. And also, I wanted to point out before I forget that I was trying to come up with what to call my hair headband. Oh, yeah. What you, really... call, you came up with a new phrase that I wanted to m- remember. You said, oh, it's your trashy head, trashy garbage head wrap. 
or your garbage trash head wrap. <laughs> I so was that's trying to remember. Even worse. I knew it had something. We called it like trash sheet. We or something. didn't call it anything. I did, <laughs> you but I don't did. remember what what we what the name you is. We it landed classy on trashy. Classy trash. Not that's garbage right. trash. Oh my god, you made it so much worse today. <laughs> uh, well, in, in the. In the midst of that sentence, I was trying to compliment you and say your hair looks great. But It's always in the midst of a compliment. It always is. You know, <laughs> if you ever, by the way, if you ever meet me in real life and I see something that's just like so off the cuff rude, know that I was trying to compliment you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I was good at that. So anyway, I just wanted to remember that you called it garbage trash today. So that's, that's nice. Well, I feel I have a hunch people are going to hold that. I'm going to remember now because <laughs> uh, I'm sure I'll actually I'll probably forget and say something even meaner in a week, you know, about your oh, dumpster fire head or something. <laughs> I, I don't just want to remember. I just want it to be recorded for posterity's sake, you know. Uh, meanwhile, Christine complimented my hair, which was an accident. And you tried with your hair. And so now I yeah, feel well, I complimented bad. you with no qualms about it. It was just a straightforward compliment. I think you have less social anxiety than me today because uh, today, it, maybe yeah. today. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, oops. Sorry about that. Uh, <clears throat> hmm. uh, why do you drink Christine besides being uh, garbage? <laughs> besides being a dumpster head. Um, well, um, I guess it is cause I'm changing my, my, I'm trying to lower my dosages of my medications and it's um, oh, lower. Yes. And it's a daunting experience. Um, I thought you would be raising it because you're <laughs> weight- so depressed. Well, because your weight, since you have a baby in you, like your weight is changing, and therefore I would think your your amount. Oh, would change. I don't know if they do it by weight. I don't oh. think they do dosage by weight, but I don't know enough about medicine, <laughs> obviously. But um, <laughs> I mean, I've never been told that, but maybe. Um, no, no, I'm I'm just changing things around, just tweaking things. Um, but yeah. All good. Just a little sleepy. Um, but otherwise, you know, uh, clock is ticking. I think when this episode comes out, it'll be really, 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 really close to my due date, if not well, already I'll be there. white knuckling it. I'll be waiting Ooh. for a text every second. Oh, my gosh. You'll be waiting for an aggressive FaceTime. Don't worry. I, I will say, Christine, yeah, if I don't get notified until after the baby oh, is come here. come on. I will scream at your baby. Just I mean, here's so the we're thing. clear. You'll scream at my baby. Wow, what a threat. Uh, although I will say, I feel like if I go into labor, like if I'm not doing the scheduled C-section, I go into labor, then it's unlikely that you won't hear about it because I'll be like in a hospital for two days or whatever before it actually happens. Or I'll be like, not two days, but I'll be like, if you're missing for two days and I don't get a single notification, I'll be like, Eva, she's dead. <laughs> Eva, you've been her baby. promoted to co-host. <laughs> <laughs> that might happen either way. But um, yeah, don't worry. You'll hear about it ASAP. But um, anyway, why do you drink, Emothy? I don't know. Today's a little gloomy and I'm feeling the vibes. But I, I don't know. I feel like I have a lot of work I need to get done but i am currently in a brain fog where i don't remember what that work is i feel (laughs) so it's a fun feeling of guilt and uh and apprehension and nervousness because i'm like what what am i supposed to be doing well my fear is that if you have work to do that means i also have work to do so i'm like uh oh the fear is like i don't know where it's i honestly it's probably like me like I see the weather outside and it's gloomy and I just want to like relax all day. And I think my brain is telling me, oh, 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 before you get really excited, is there anything you need to do? And now I'm right. panicking that I can't think of anything. You're getting that capitalism guilt. Yeah, yeah. you get it. You Have get fun. it. Well, we're anyway. working right now. So this is enough for you to 
I would say check a check it off your list. I did see a pretty interesting t-shirt at Target that I might treat myself to after this. What is so it? An interesting t-shirt. By interesting, it's really nothing that special. But it was purple, and I'm interested, so <laughs> that makes it interesting. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> uh, Old Navy has this um, gender-neutral line, which I, by the way, shout out to Old Navy. I should really be promoting them more often because half of my clothing no, is from no, there no. now. No, no, no. Stop. You keep promoting companies, and then we don't get paid for it. Okay, 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 okay. But Target, if you'd like to be... <laughs> If you would like to work with us, uh, they have a few shirts that are looking more and more gender neutral, and I think it's intentional. So I wonder if they're gonna like say well, that there's Target a line was the coming. One that switched to to kids' toys rather than boys mm-hmm. and girls' toys. They were like one of the first big companies to do that. So wouldn't be yeah. surprising. I wouldn't be surprised. They're always moving and grooving. So anyway, I, I saw the shirt and I went, "Ooh, that looks pretty fun." Is it so, tie dye? No, it's literally just purple, but it's got like black sleeves i don't know what to tell you oh it's wow really not that special it to anyone thrilling. else but i'm very if you see me in a purple shirt with black sleeves you'll know i had a good day today if i facetime you and i'm in the hospital birthing a child and you don't answer <laughs> my head is immediately gonna go wow em's at target shopping for a purple t-shirt and can't bother to hear about my unborn <laughs> child coming into the world yeah that might be the case we'll find yeah. out Okay, so Christine, I actually have a quick story for you today, but it's a very fun story full of potential banter and whimsy. So, you know, everyone is rolling their eyes. I can't wait. I know. Well, I love a good whimsical tale. So, here we go. By now, you've probably heard about Burrow, a new kind of furniture company known for timeless designs, durable materials, and details that make life in your space easier. Last year, they brought their expertise outside with the launch of their outdoor line, which I love, and now they're adding more must-have pieces to the collection. For example, Dunes offers seating, dining, and lounger options, while Scout is a new folding chair upholstered in a chic woven fabric. And I think I'm going to get two of those for the balcony. Blaze and I love to sit out there in the evenings after Leona goes to bed. And I love the idea of having a good-looking but also extremely useful and comfy place to sit outside. Made of durable materials made for all seasons, weather-resistant teak, stainless alloy, and quick-dry stain-resistant cushions with easy assembly and disassembly this is the perfect thing for your outdoor space they also just launched a new standing desk co-pilot with adjustable height a durable scratch resistant body with built-in storage to make working at home easier than ever i'm in the market for a new desk um so this is definitely going to be my next bookmark and of course there's burrow's legacy seating collections like the nomad and range now available in new colors and m and i that's like the only piece of furniture i think we actually share is our burrow sofa in the podcast department love that thing and that's why we drink listening can get 15% off their first order at burrow.com slash drink. That's burrow, B-U-R-R-O-W.com slash drink for 15% off. Burrow.com slash drink. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. I am so thrilled that we are working with Fast Growing Trees. I spent about an hour and a half on the website trying to decide what I would love to order from their products. They have so many options and you can actually filter it by zones, by growing zones to make sure you know it'll work in your garden. Um, they have everything from massive privacy shrubs and trees to very, very specific flowers. I actually ended up ordering a lilac shrub for my garden. I recently discovered how much I love the smell of lilac and so 
So I thought, you know what? Perfect chance. Why don't I get some lilac growing in my yard? I think it's going to smell beautiful. And I also got my mom a little lavender plant as an Easter present. Right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code DRINK at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code DRINK at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code DRINK. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. This is the story of Rudolph Fence. Have you heard of Rudolph no. Fence? No. Fence, not like a fe- like sitting on the fence. Fence, like... E-N-T-Z. Oh, that sounds German. Yeah. Uh, So Rudolf Fentz, uh, this is a story about a time traveler. (gasps) Is he German? Uh, The jury's out. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, we can make him German. Sounds pretty German, I don't right? want to make any calls about people's ethnicity and background, <clears throat> so. He is um, a man, is all, I, is okay. all I've got. Um, okay, so fun facts about uh, time travel really quick, because I had to throw some in there, obviously. Um, and I did not bring up any Back to the Future things, because I thought that might be overdone. So these are other time travel facts. Okay, this is interesting, because I think I've probably heard all the Back to the Future ones already from you. Yeah, I probably wiped the slate clean, too, <laughs> just so you could be prepared to hear them again one day, because I never <laughs> shut up about it. Okay, so in 2015, CBS News did a poll of if you were to... Uh, travel through time, what would you bring with you? Do you know what the most common answer was? My iPhone was probably everyone's answer. No, no one brought an iPhone. What? <laughs> Which is so weird because that would be the first thing I'd do. Yeah. Uh, a fully charged iPhone. Um, okay. What about a camera? I don't know. God, that's so smart. No. I guess the iPhone would have the camera, but... Well, I'll give you a know. hint. I'll give you a hint. That doctor who told you to pray would bring this thing. A Bible? 41% of people no, said the Bible. Yeah. Excuse me? Why? I don't have that answer for I you. I hope they mean the Bible where it's cut out in the middle and there's actually like, it's <laughs> like, like a, a flask. Safe. Yeah, there's a <laughs> flask in it. Uh, well, I only say that because I have a Bible with a flask cut out in it. So, But you um, don't even drink and you're not. Okay, it's, whatever. You know what? It's a little, it's a fun surprise for the people snooping through my bookshelf. All you right? know, I have one of those that's a Nancy Reagan uh, memoir but actually if you open it it's like a safe i have that did you get it from the dc spy museum um probably <laughs> because that's where i got mine it's from george uh george vidal or something and it's like a book on politics that's and probably where i got it yeah uh it's like one of the most innocuous looking book covers ever it's just like yeah it's like boring and blends in and white all that lady on the front um but now that if anybody breaks in my house they know where my flask is (laughs) find the book with the white lady on it um no so a bible apparently 41 percent absurd what is wrong with you people and then uh 31 percent said i guess this makes more sense antibiotics yeah okay that that i can get behind that tracks that tracks because like that makes some logical sense a bible like what are you gonna do with that i'll see if you can find a bible literally at any point in time Like, depending on when you're going, obviously, so if you're going stupid. back to the dinosaurs, okay, maybe not, but, like, what are you going to do with a Bible back then? What, are you going to throw it at a dinosaur? I don't I know. I mean, like, maybe. <laughs> or maybe bring one to Jesus and be like, look what they said about you. Like, you that know? I get. If you were, like, very specifically like, can, planned can for Can you Bible. fact check this real quick? Here's a pen. Can you? Oh, by the that way, this is what a pen looks like. They're going to be big. You'll, you'll see. <laughs> yeah. Were there actually unicorns back then, or is this a mistranslation? Like, I do have a lot of questions, you know, uh, but... 21% of people uh, 
do you want to take a, a stab at this? Or you, so wait, maybe, so we got Bible antibiotics. Yeah. And by take a stab, I mean, maybe do you want to take a shot at it? A gun. Yep. 21%. Yep. Not surprised. So, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. So they want to bring a fucking gun a Bible and, and a, a Bible. Gun. I wanna, and maybe I just, Trump with them? I don't know. I don't I'm understand. Just, like so embarrassed right now. Okay. Um, so at least uh, a gun serves a purpose right like a gun serves a purpose yeah because like if you are going back to dinosaur era you know yeah but then are you like trying to poach dinosaurs like what's happening here well i assume if wherever you're going you're you at least have a weapon like to defend yourself if people are like what are these blue jeans you're wearing you know then you can defend <laughs> yourself <laughs> i really hope the people who want to bring a gun though aren't the people going into the future because then it's oh, like God. something as simple as a phone could scare the shit out of you and you feel the need to protect yourself and i don't know <sighs> i don't know uh three percent i don't know what i do know what these people have planned and i don't like it um three percent are condoms they would bring condoms oh, before for anything else god's sake so, oh like, God, I don't know. I'm so embarrassed I feel right like now. That, that comes with an intention. Like, you have a, a particular interest in a particular person, and you think you're going to be the one to blow them away. So, like, if you get captured by the government, because obviously you look suspicious in your Levi's, and they're like, "What's what are you wearing uh -huh. You're in the year 1565? So then they capture you, <laughs> and you have a literal Bible and condoms on you. Like, what do you think is going to happen? Which, this by is the so way, embarrassing. A condoms and a bible that tells you to procreate do not mix my friends no that's so the other thing yeah who, i who don't are understand these people? um so three percent condoms that does freak me out that makes me worried about the people that agreed you are trying to travel to see because you're definitely going to pull some sort of like i'm from the future shit to impress them and like get them in bed so i guess at least you don't want to procreate with them i guess <clears throat> i guess yeah that's at least smart at least they know enough about the butterfly effect you can't you don't right. want to give them a Create baby. a new generation with no side effects. Another 3% are people like me, and they said that they would bring Christopher Lloyd, who played Dr. Emmett Brown from Back to the Future. Are you for real? I'm not kidding. But they, also... They said they would bring a fictional character. They would No, they time. would bring the actor who played a fictional oh, character. Which is Which is even dumber, because, like, that man cannot actually... I don't know if they need to hear this, but, like, he doesn't actually know about time no, travel. No, I'm bringing Stephen Hawking. Like, what are you doing bringing an <laughs> right. actor? If you're bringing someone, bring, like, Carl Sagan. Like, what's yeah, wrong with precisely. you? precisely. So, um, yeah, a Bible, antibiotics, a gun, condoms, Christopher Lloyd. So there you have it. I think they got mixed up and thought, heard, like, what's in your purse right now? And they were like, oh, let me check. <laughs> Because this is, like, bizarre. Christopher Lloyd is just, like, a little, you know, he's <laughs> hanging out my wallet. He's a, he's a borrower. Um, okay, so uh, this year, CBS did a new uh, poll, which wasn't as uh, detailed, but it just said, if you could go, if you could time travel, where would you go, past or future? What do you think the percentage of either one is? Mm, Who would so the, those are the two options, past or future? Mm -hmm. I would say 60% want to go to the past. Okay. And 40% want to go to the future. Interesting. 40% said the past. Oh, okay. And Which, uh, I don't know how I feel about that. I guess. I don't either. I, what would you do? Um, Forever ago, I would have said the past because I like to cherry pick the things I would like to experience from the past. Right, same. Uh, but I think the future, there's a safer, more progress. I, fingers crossed, it's a more progressive world. So that would be fun to see like where we're heading. And also... I could get a sneak peek of technology. And also, I think there's a less of a chance that I'd fuck up the butterfly effect. Oh, good point. But I guess my fear about the future is like, oh, my God, what if it's a fucking apocalypse is how I imagine the future. And then, then like, I can prepare uh -oh. better, I guess. I, I feel like if you go into the future, like 
no matter what, you at least come back with knowledge. Yeah, but right? what if the knowledge is like, I now have a mental breakdown because I know that everybody's dead and I don't know. I have and no there's idea. there's been a nuclear <laughs> war. I don't know. I feel like the past, at least, I can be like, I'm just going to go to the 60s and sit on the sidelines and watch a... Yeah, it would. if I were to go to the past nowadays, I would have to go back to, like, a really monumental time and, like, help protest. But, like, I also, I I don't think I could go back the way that I used to think of it, of, like, oh, I just want to go to the 50s and drink a milkshake at the diner. And it's oh, like, no, that wouldn't work. <laughs> I know. I used to think that way, and I hate myself for it. But now I, I think I think I'd pick future. I think I'd pick future now. Huh. I don't know. And anyway, by the way, it was 40% past and 53% the future and 7% were unsure. So okay, if you fall into I'm that, you're not alone. Unsure. So uh, there is, I've mentioned this before when I mentioned um, Project Pegasus, which, by the way, shout out episodes 102 and 103. When you mentioned Project Pegasus, no, you like did a full <laughs> when I, deep dive. When I gave a sermon about it, actually. <laughs> um, I've said in the past there are some uh, pictures – that are historical pictures that have not been doctored and there's something very fishy about them. I and then love those photos. It looks like someone from the future is there. It makes no fucking sense. So cool. So uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to some of those pictures again. Some of them I talk about during the Project Pegasus episodes. One of them was the little boy who looked like he was like wearing 80s clothing at like the Gettysburg address or something. Ah. Like there was the... There's that really famous one of a guy who looks like he's in a crowd of people dressed in like 1940s clothing, but he's wearing like crazy like steampunk goggles and a t-shirt, like a band t-shirt. Okay, but like what are they thinking? Like they nobody was like what are you wearing, guy? I have no idea. That's a I I don't know. It's and they to this day haven't really been fully explained, which is so wild to me. There's so also creepy. There's also a painting from 1860 that actually threw people for a loop because technology has changed. So there's a painting from 1860 called The Expected One. And Ugh. it looks, it literally looks like a girl from the 1860s is like staring at an iPhone. Wait, can it, I look at it? Wait. Yeah, it's called The Expected One. 1860. Expected or expectant? The Expected One. The Expected One painting. Oh my God. She looks like she's like walking and like texting or something. Ew, ew, I just got goose cam. It really Isn't it does. Creepy? Yeah. So apparently it did get debunked and she's holding a prayer book and like walking to church in the a painting. A prayer book, wink. Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. It's got a uh. flask in it. Um, <laughs> it's Nancy Reagan's <laughs> memoir. <laughs> but so uh, it's just, it's interesting to even think about how new conspiracy theories can come out of new technology when looking That's at old art. Because you're like, oh, why does this look like she's... How come no one's yeah. ever mentioned before that she's a time traveler? But you have like it's a new because... perspective. You wouldn't have thought about this before an iPhone existed. So what was the one... Can I look at... Sorry, now I'm being just derailing. Yeah. But can I look at the pictures that you mentioned earlier? It's the guy... Uh, the... I don't know the name of it. But if you type in a nine, 1940s picture guy in sunglasses, you'll see it. Okay, I typed in... It's pretty famous. Oh, my God. Okay, so I typed in time travel photos 1940. Holy crap. We could put these on our Instagram as well, by the way. Yeah, we should. He's literally wearing, yeah, like a t-shirt. And like and goggles, sunglasses. sunglasses. Yeah. And it's it, he looks like he's like waiting for a band to start. It's like. Wow. <laughs> but it's just so weird that like, how come nobody at the time that picture was taken even thought he looked out of place? Maybe they did. And they just were like, well. They're like, here's a weirdo just what hanging is, out. Look at this weirdo. Right. It could be. <laughs> but so then also let's, pre let's pretend it's a, oh, and then there's the little kid and the kids. Um. 
from the Gettysburg Address. Oh, I think okay. that was actually act like that's claimed to be Andrew Basiago, the guy who's like the one oh, talk right. who's like whistleblowing Project Pegasus. He claims to be the Gettysburg Address kid. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, and so I also wonder if that is based on time travel. Let's say they really are time travelers. Why didn't anyone warn those people about like, hey, there's going to be one camera that exists in this decade. Don't yeah. stand in front of it. Like, <laughs> It seems like you would, the odds of you getting captured on camera would be really slim. And yet they're finding ways to do it. Huh. So. Interesting. Uh, interesting. Anyway, just wanted to give a shout out to some time travel art, so if you will. Creepy. Um, so yeah. So okay. So here's the story of Rudolph Fence. So the story is in 1950, in June 1950, and at a it's in New York City. So at about 11:15 at night, an anonymous witness says that they just they write to the police. They say they write to the police. It really is the 50s, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> they snail mail the police. Uh, they reported that they saw a man who looked like he was in his early thirties, just magically appear in Times Square. Wow. Magically appear. And this guy is in old fashioned clothing. He literally has like checkerboard pants. Like he's got, uh, probably like a bowler hat and like a thick wool jacket. Like he's looks like he's not from the fifties. Okay. Oh, so they think he's earlier than the 50s yeah he looks gotcha. like he's in even in 1950 he was reported as having very old-fashioned clothing he had mutton chops and his whoa. facial hair apparently matched the time of the 1870s whoa which like by the way if you think about the 1870s that was only 80 years before 1950 so in theory people in 1950 could like match that very clearly of like oh that's an 1870s facial right because now we would understand what that's about 70 years before us now the 50s yeah. So yeah, exactly. Like, oh, that's what the 50s looked like. That's what we wore in the 50s. Blows my mind because when I think of the 50s, I can like very quickly come to an idea. But when yeah. I, you say 1870s, I'm like, what do you, who do you that think I am? A historian? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Facial so anyway. hair of the 70s, 1870s? Yeah. So anyway, if you were from the 50s, uh, you could very clearly pick out an 1870s facial hair yeah. uh, style. So they said, yeah, old fashioned clothes, checkered pants, uh, Mutton chops, 1870s facial hair. And apparently he just seemed amazed at the <gasps> sight of New York City. Oh, and like, he was in Central... Or where was he not? Central He Park? was in Times the Square. center of Times Square, yeah. Wow. Um, apparently he was, quote, gawking at the signs as if he'd never seen an electric sign before. That's so cool. Which, like, okay, pretend this is real for a second, though. Like, I'm, like, I'm assuming this is not real. Pretend that, like, there really is a time traveler who can show up to the middle of Times Square. And, like, you've never seen, like, a neon light before or, like, You're a pretending this. You just threw me more by saying, I, I don't, I'm assuming this is not real. M saying that about their own story is just really It's time travel. I'm pretty, I'm, like, going to take a stab and assume it's not real. What? Like, I'm just, I thought you believe in time travel. This one doesn't have enough information to back it up for me. Really? Yeah. Uh. But... I'm going to assume to the bitter end that this is true. I'm assuming it's real until proven otherwise. So we're switching places today. Fun. I love when we roll reverse. So, uh, but imagine like our never listeners need someone to be like, you know, convinced uh, this is real. Team time travel. I know. I know. I know. I know. I'm very out of my element today. You. So, uh, but imagine for the, you've never seen neon or an, an electric sign before. Right. I, mean, I would be. I would imagine it was like uh, the first time you and I experienced that the VR goggles. Like, <laughs> right? I to this, I I remember 
that was the only time I've ever truly jaw dropped. I was amazed. I felt like my parent, my grandparents, the first time they saw like a TV show with color, I was like, yeah, <laughs> was yeah. Like, what is going on? But the crazy thing is that with a like an electric light, like you wouldn't even know how to process it. Well, no, but you wouldn't even know what to expect. Like with VR, at least we had an idea of like oh, it's sort of like a TV, but you feel like you're in it. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. we at least had a grasp on it. But with something that hadn't been invented yet, like a neon sign, like how do you even yeah. grasp, like, you're going to see a neon sign. You wouldn't even know how to. Imagine if you that. were like like a horse and wagon hadn't even been created as a concept yet. And all of a sudden you time travel <laughs> to a place where there's like motorcycles. Like, can you yeah. imagine? I would poop my pants at every second of the time <laughs> I was there. That's why I'm scared of the future. I'm like, I'm just going to go to the past. It's where I can feel comfortable. I think I would have to go to like a, like the near future. Like, I'd like to see what my grandkids are up to. Like, okay. and that's about as well, far as we can Well, my other fear about the future is very black mirror of like, what if we have mind reading by then? And people are like... Read my mind. I don't know. I feel like I just I feel too. I'd have to do it in like increments of like five years to warm myself up. I think I don't want to. If I had that option, so okay. So he looks just beyond overwhelmed at Times Square, and all of a sudden something seems to startle him. We don't know what it is, but something scares him, and he just takes off and starts running. Oh God! And he's so overwhelmed by the city, doesn't totally know where he's running to, and he gets hit by a cab. Oh no! And he dies. Oh, shit. Oh, well, he really messed this one up. <laughs> he, that talk about a butterfly effect. Now Rudy. there's a whole story and now Jeez. I'm doing a podcast on it. I mean, <laughs> Rudolph was not careful. Rudy. Um, <clears throat> so the police show up and a crowd is gathering around him. They're like, who the heck is this guy? Why does he look so out of place? Then again, like, it's New York City. I feel like it, this is not that far-fetched so far. To find, like, like, your grandparents' old bowler hat. and Yeah. Wear, yeah, yeah. I don't know why people were so shocked at this point, but apparently they, the thing that got really suspicious was nobody knew who he was. So like you, they had to take him to the coroner's office or the morgue and they had to go digging through his pockets to be able to identify him. And they found some really odd shit in his pockets. (gasps) So you would not be able to guess what these things are, but would you like and some condoms? I was going to ask (laughs) Can you imagine if it was actually all the things that 2015 CBS News predicted? I know Christopher exactly Lloyd what it is. is in his shoe. And <laughs> Christopher Lloyd, <laughs> <laughs> just great, Scott. Um, okay, so the first and most important thing is that they found business cards in his pocket, multiple, which made them think it was his name. Otherwise, he just had like one that he could have grabbed from somebody. Yeah. But he had a bunch at the ready. So, and the name on it was Rudolph Fence. So okay. they they assume that's his name. They also found uh, $70 worth of 19th century banknotes, $1,800 money. Uh, they had they found other business cards for Rudolph that were actually addressed to um, Fifth Avenue in New York. Uh, there was a letter that was delivered to the same Fifth Avenue address, uh, and the letter was sent from Philadelphia in 1876. Ooh. Which was how many years? 74 years earlier. So there's a letter from 74 years ago to his address. Weird. There's a five cent brass and copper token for beer with the name of an unknown saloon on it. Wow. That when they went to investigate the saloon, nobody had heard of it. Uh, There was a receipt from a barn on Lexington Avenue 
for a horse and carriage washing, which after doing investigation, the a barn at that address had not existed. Wow. And a medal for a three-legged race. <laughs> Good job. He, that was important. That was just as important as that all the one, other items to him. That one he was clinging on to for the yeah. until he until his last. That breath. was inside the Nancy Reagan memoir safe. It yeah, was like, this is my special <laughs> special item. <laughs> he was like, nobody needs Don't to touch, touch this. this as badly as I do. So. Uh, they were like, who the fuck is Rudolph Fence at Fifth Ave? And why does he have shit from the 1800s and also Only. a medal from... Like nothing current, it sounds like. Nothing current, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it was 1800s money, a business card to an address, the 74-year-old letter, a five-cent beer token for an unknown saloon, the receipt wow. at an address that didn't exist, and the medal. So um, they found out his name but the he didn't live at that address and so he ended up becoming a missing persons case wow this and is so cool so at the missing persons bureau department i don't know what they called it in the 1950s but um the guy who took up his case was captain hubert rim and captain rim really only had that address to go off of and his name uh but the man wasn't listed anywhere in prior documents he his prints weren't on record um so he goes to the fifth avenue address and it was not actually a house but it was a storefront and the owner had never heard of a rudolph fence so dead end that's so creepy dead end so he later decides he's like you know what maybe he actually lived in a different he lived there at a different time so maybe i just have to go through every individual phone book and just find this fucking guy wow and he ended up finding a Rudolph Fence Jr. <gasps> in a, a phone book from 1939, so 11 <gasps> years prior. Wow. And he went to the apartment uh, from and the address from that phone book, and the neighbor remembered there being a Rudolph Fence Jr. So this guy who just showed up in 1950, he's in his early 30s. His son lived there 11 years earlier. So wow, that's already okay. creepy. Yes, like you're, it is. You're like, what, our age? And you have an adult son that lives somewhere. And so the neighbor says that Rudolph Fence Jr. was a few decades ago in his 60s. <gasps> oh, and wait, so I never heard how old the current Rudolph guy is who died. Yeah, so, so the guy, who, whoever reported him as, like, what he was wearing and all that said he was in his early 30s. Oh, got it. Okay, okay. So then they're <clears> saying now his potential son was in his 60s a few decades ago? Yeah. Holy shit. Okay. Wow. And apparently in 1940, which was 10 years earlier to when this is happening, they said, like, oh, 10 years ago, Rudolph Fence Jr. moved to a retirement home. Oh, my God. How creepy is that? So... Captain Brim got a hold of the local bank in the neighborhood, thinking like, oh, if he lived here, they might have a file on him. Right. And they found a former account at the bank with Rudolph Fence Jr. And they said, unfortunately, we can't contact him for you because Rudolph Fence Jr. died five years ago. <gasps> but his wife still lives in Florida. Oh, my God. So Captain Rim finds the wife in Florida. And when he said, like, look, there's this guy named Rudolph Fence uh, he looks like this. He just showed up in Times Square and basically she was blown away because <gasps> apparently uh, 
1876, the time of the letter and the time of the, the that the beer token would have been around and the receipt for the barn, apparently in 1876, 74 years ago, her father-in-law, Rudolf Fence Sr., who was 29 at the time, he decided to go for a walk after dinner one night and completely vanished and was no. never heard from again. No. So, and it was all the way down to the exact clothing description, the same age description. And the it was year. the year 1876. And it was around the same time. Cause I think he showed up at 11 o'clock at night in 1950. But I don't you believe he, this is real. I'm fully convinced already. When I love he, this. when he disappeared, in 1876, it was 10 o'clock at night, and he showed up an hour later in 1950. That is... Isn't that crazy? So creepy. So it was like, yeah, he's just been missing for 74 years, and he showed up at the exact same age in the exact same clothing in the exact same spot that he would have been walking. I'm just... That's Goose Cam Central. It, so a lot of people think maybe it's just a ghost. Maybe they just saw something. But there was also witnesses. This guy's doing a literal investigation on this body. Yeah. That is in a morgue. Yeah. Like, they have all his items. Like, it's, like, yeah. in hand. Yeah. So, you you cross ghost off the list. So, yeah. uh, there was actually, after all of this, as creepy as it was, there was never an official report filed on Rudolph Fence because apparently time travel was not a good enough explanation for all of this. So, it's still an open <laughs> case. So, so but, but it's, like, it's real, right? Like, there's actually a case on this? Yeah. So, Cap Cap Captain... Hubert Rim. Yeah, mm -hmm. he was in charge of the investigation, wow. but there's no official report filed with like a like a cause of like oh, what I happened see. to this guy. Okay. So how did a 30-year-old man vanish or 29-year-old man vanish in 1876 and suddenly appear almost 75 years later at the exact same age in the exact same outfit? So in 1972, this is 22 years after Rudolph Fence was seen again. Uh, in 1972, there was a supernatural investigation group, uh, called, and that's why we drank. Just kidding. It's called. Uh, I literally uh, almost said that. And then you said it. And I was like, whoa, this is really crazy. tripping me out. Oh my God. It's called Borderland Sciences Research Foundation. Sounds way more professional than, and that's why it we drink. <laughs> absolutely does. And apparently, uh, they, their belief is that fence could have just walked through a time portal by accident. Um, allegedly Rudolph might have quote slipped through a hole in the fabric of reality between our dimension and the fourth dimension. Sure, 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 sure. And the article I read on this was a lot more, um, sciencey. They gave like at least two or three paragraphs trying to describe this concept, but just for us to be able to swallow the pill, uh, our dimension, the fourth dimension, there can be like thin little pockets and you can fall into the thin pockets and show up somewhere else. Theoretically, at least. Theoretically. Yeah. So they think that he was just walking in a, like a liminal space and kind of fell through and How popped scary. out on the other end. Yeah. And that would explain, I mean, if he's going for like a, an evening night stroll after dinner and all of a sudden he sees electric neon signs and cars everywhere, he's no probably wonder. freaking out. Because my thought was, oh, well, if he planned this, he really should have been prepared for like not expect, you know, for being yeah. startled. But I guess if you were just casually taking a walk and all of a sudden it was like buy the new iphone like oh my god you'd be so scared <laughs> look this is why i don't go for walks okay you don't know what's gonna happen that's exactly why i don't leave my house also agreed same 
thing. And so that was kind of the end that we heard of it for a while. But then the internet came about and this story regained this like surge of popularity Mm -hmm. because it like spread across the cybersphere. And uh, in the year 2000, there was an article in a magazine called Masala. Uh, it's a Spanish magazine. And I don't know. Masaya. I don't know how to how I would pronounce it, but M-A-S and then A-L-L-A. So Masaya. That's how I would guess it. Yeah. Okay. So they did an article in their magazine about Rudolph Fence and one like uh, supernatural researcher named Chris Aubeck. Mm-hmm. He saw the article and ended up publishing his own two years later after doing his own like investigative recon on where the story must have come from or how why haven't we heard about it in a while where like what's going on. Okay. So he claims that Rudolph Fence is not a real story. He claims that it's inspired by the 1953 short story called A Voice from the Gallery by Ralph Holland. Oh. Through over time, we ended up finding out that that story, A Voice from the Gallery by Ralph Holland, was inspired by another story called I'm Scared by Jack Finney, who later wrote The Body Snatchers, fun fact, oh. which which would then become The Invasion of the Body Snatchers movie. So Chris Aubeck says this story doesn't exist. It's just been told a million times and originally comes from I'm Scared by Jack Finney. Okay. And I'm Scared... Was Me first pu- <laughs> I'm scared was first published in I never learned how to say it Collier's magazine Collier's magazine I think it's Collier yeah Collier's okay um, it was first published in the September 1951 issue uh-huh. aka a, a year after this story was said to have happened so uh-huh. it could have been that. And by the way, Collier's was like a well-respected magazine at the time. So it could have been one of those like War of the Worlds on the radio things where people were listening to War of the Worlds and people freaked the fuck out because they thought it was legit. It was fiction, right. They could have read this this story from the 1951 issue of Collier's, which was people trusted. And it says like, oh, a year ago, this guy just showed up in New York City and people all freaked out that a time traveler showed up a year ago. How like close to the story was the magazine article christine it was pretty identical like super duper holy crap identical this to me so i'm scared by jack finney was apparently a collection of fake stories which were being written as if they were true it was a collection of stories of people's experiences time traveling i see and one of the stories, I think the the last story of the collection was actually Rudolph Fence's story. Oh. All the way down to Captain Hubert Rim being the one that was the detective on the case. <laughs> oh, no. It also What's the said, name? Ru- Rudolph? Yeah. Fence? Oh, yeah. fuck. Okay. <laughs> Damn it. So, so this was, it, since the story was based in 1950 and this magazine came out in 1951, it's very easy to be like, oh, yeah, a year ago, I'm Rudolph Fence and I wrote in and a year ago, you know, I time traveled too. It's crazy. I don't, no. I don't really, I didn't read I'm Scared, but I'm assuming it's something along those lines. Um, and it actually did suggest that people, uh, the reason all these people were able to write in as their experiences with time travel 
the reason people were now time traveling so frequently is because people were trying to escape what was going on in the world so desperately that they were, quote, disturbing the clock of time and time itself was breaking down. Oh, my God. And so they were able to find all these little pockets of time portals. And that was what was causing all these people who wrote in to be Ugh. able to time travel. So uh, from I'm Scared and Collier's, this Rudolph Fence story got mentioned again later uh, in 1972 by the Borderland Sciences Research Foundation. It, they were the ones that brought it up again uh, in their own journal. Uh, and rumor has it, so let's do the timeline here. So in 1951, Jack Finney writes, I'm scared, where mm -hmm. the story literally comes from. Then there's discussion that uh, Ralph Holland, this other author, Two years after the Collier's uh, story comes out, he basically rips off the story to a, nearly a T. Oh, great. In this short story called A Voice from the Gallery, which is what that guy in the year 2000 found and was saying like, oh, I think the story was inspired by this. Gotcha. The same guy who wrote that short story was actually a member of the Borderland Sciences Research Foundation, which would explain why they did their own story about it in the 70s. Oh. So it all kind of is jumbled together, but basically this all at a very beginning stemmed from I'm Scared by Jack Finney. And okay. uh, so basically when Rudolph Fence, when this story was mentioned in Collier's, it was implied to be true, leading to its like heightened creep factor and people starting to bring it up in the, in the future. And the original article um, from 1951 from the Collier's, uh, magazine it now actually has a section afterwards that explains the truth behind it oh okay um there is also like this like random plot twist that in 2007 one researcher at a news archive found uh this same story of rudolph fence before collier's was even published and so it was implying that like oh so that like if I'm scared is the first place to have written about it, but this story actually happened five months earlier, then maybe there really was a time traveler. Mm -hmm. It became this whole random twist where they really wanted time travel to sound like it could have happened, but yeah. really it was probably fake. So Aww. anyway, this all stems from a 1951 article in Collier's magazine, but enough people truly believed it was legitimate for a while, especially when the internet came out. And anyway, that's the story of Rudolph. Oh my God. I mean, it's a great story. Like I understand why people like got sucked into it. And it's especially with all the details of like, Oh, and this was in his pockets. And then his, these are what he's wearing. And, and we found his wife in Florida. I mean, yeah. come on. Anyway, uh, there you have it. I am looking, I've just typed him in here. Ew, so creepy. Yeah. The first thing of course is a Snopes article. Uh, yeah, well, there you have it. I feel Aww. like they, um, there's also, if you look up Rudolph Fence, there's like an actual picture that shows up of a guy. So like yeah, that implies to him. be him with like his, his mustache, his mustache. And all that. <laughs> which is so funny. Cause if you, if you just Google the name Rudolph Fence, the first thing that shows up is Rudolph Fence, fictional character. I know. Bummer, man. Yeah. Oh, well. It's oh, a well. great story though. It's very creepy. I thought so. I love it. Well, now that makes sense why. Because I was like, M is saying it might not be real. Yeah, I, I almost, I caught myself in a stumble there. Oh, man. I really wanted it to be real. Oh, well. Unfortunately, I have something real for you today. 
So mm, yeah. I wish I could say this wasn't real. That would be I, fun. You know, you and me both, Christine. I wish more of my stories were fake and more of yours were real. <laughs> Remember that time you covered the Grinch? That was a fun day. That was a fun day. Uh, and I also didn't even get day. to appreciate it for half of it because I, I had to worry about it being real that whole time until I realized later, you know? Yeah. It's a bummer. Oh, well. But I'm glad I kept you in suspense. And that's why We Drink is sponsored by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With Squarespace, it's easy to create a beautiful website all on your terms. You don't want to miss Fluid Engine, a next-generation website design system from Squarespace with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. I don't know this for a fact, but it's my opinion that there is no easier way to build a website than Squarespace because of this drag-and-drop technology. It gets better every year, and it is just, you when you think it can't get any better and easier, it does. I've been using Squarespace <laughs> since 2017. Um, and in that time, they have just proven themselves to be the best and easiest way to make a website. So anytime I make a website for any reason, that's where I go. When you're ready to get started, you can use one of Squarespace's professional website templates with designs for every category, and then you can customize it. You can customize the look, add new content, add features to fit your unique needs. It's just a great spot to have a landing page for you, for your business, for whatever it is you're trying to market or showcase. Squarespace is the best platform to use, in my opinion. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash drink to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. It feels very fitting that Juniper is currently sitting on my lap uh, because we all want our cats to be healthy and happy because when they're happy, we're happy. But because we're not mind readers, we don't always know when they're unwell. And in my experience, cats are not the most, you know, open when it comes to sharing their woes. And there goes Junie, literally jumped right off me. So helping us keep tabs on our cat's health is just one reason you should use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's ultra absorbent crystals trap odor instantly. No more cat bathroom smell, thank God. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base also minimizes mess and dust. Plus, the crystals last up to a month, which means less scooping and fewer trips to the garbage can for Blaze, because that's his job. Here's the coolest thing about Pretty Litter. It changes colors to help monitor early signs of potential illness in our cats, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues, and Pretty Litter ships free right to your door in a small, lightweight bag. Pretty Litter has changed the game. The litter box is right near Leona's room, and so it is very delightful to not have that litter smell all the time when she's taking a nap. Plus, we can rest easy knowing that Juniper and his little kidneys are healthy. Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. Go to prettylitter.com slash ATWWD and use code ATWWD to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash ATWWD, code ATWWD to save 20%. Prettylitter.com slash ATWWD, code ATWWD. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Um, okay, well, today um, I have a story for you that I thought I had covered for years. I've just been like, I had it checked off on my mental list. And then one day I did a little perusing and realized, wow, I literally have never covered this. And Ooh. I thought I had. This is a story of Ivan Malat and the backpacker murders. Yeah, no, I, that does not sound familiar. I don't know why. I was so thoroughly convinced. I checked like 10 times, but nope, I've never covered it. So today's the day. Cool. So the story is set in Australia. Um, I watched a show. I, I guess it was a show. It was like a two-part movie sort of on Amazon Prime called Fun. Catching Malat. And it's it's sort of a fictionalized or not. I don't know how the best way to put it. It's like a dramatized version. Like it's all acted out. It's not like a documentary. A reenactment? Yeah. It's like a reenactment, but it's like a full movie. And it's really well done. 
Um, and, and it sticks pretty close to the story from what I could tell. So that's a good movie to watch if you're interested in seeing the story kind of dramatized. So let's just get started. Okay. We are in Australia. Two hikers were walking through Australia's Belangelo State Forest at an area uh, called Executioner's Drop. Oh, well, there. Okay. Step <laughs> one is red, red flags already red there. Red flag number one. When one said to the other, come here and look at this kangaroo leg. Huh? <laughs> Is that just what happens in Australia? Yeah. There's just like mangled kangaroo parts everywhere? So the, there was one clip in this movie where one the guy goes, uh, oh, where were you? And he's like, out shooting. And he's like, oh, you catch a roo? And I was like, Is this catch a roo? Oh, my God. <laughs> catch a roo? Like, I like I'm like not down with it, but the phrasing is something I catch a roo. It's great. Catch a root. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's so see if we can let's see if we can redo we can like uh come up with reclaim a different it. Yeah, a different reason to, to say something to like that. So it's, so it's fun to say. Yeah, I agree. Um so these two hikers are walking through Belangelo State Forest at Executioner's Drop, and one says to the other, Come here and look at this kangaroo leg. So it was September nineteenth, nineteen ninety two, and police had been called to the site to investigate. Near the kangaroo leg, they also found a patch of skin which had fur on it. And quickly realized that's not fur, it's hair. It's human hair. And it wasn't a kangaroo leg. It was a human elbow. Oh, what? So, Hang on. I feel like a human elbow and a kangaroo leg look very different. Oh, I understand. Like, not the meaty thigh part of the kangaroo. Like, we're talking, like, the foot and the Like his ankle. leg. Yeah. I know, but when I think of well, leg, I think of, like, their, their large... The, their their oh, kickers. They're... Their kicker meat. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No. I know. I know that's <laughs> fucked up, but like the where like the kangaroo like when they jump and then they go wah and they like get you with their uh-huh. with their tushy muscles. Oh, I thought that part was also attached to. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what kangaroo bones look like. I can't even pretend like I know what they look like. Um, I'm understanding better now it, when I think of like more of a kangaroo ankle versus a kangaroo leg. That could be that. What, that definitely that looks like a like a human elbow. Okay, I'm gonna Keep trust going. you on that. I have no idea what kangaroo bones look like, but I believe you okay um so they find this kangaroo leg quote unquote turns out the police show up and they're like that's not a kangaroo leg it is a human elbow so uh they rush to the scene other pieces of a young woman's body are found nearby and only 100 feet away from that first corpse police find a second body Mm. so the bodies were soon identified to be 22 year old joanne walters and her friend 21 year old caroline clark and they were british hitchhikers who had gone missing earlier that year Joanne was from Wales and Caroline was from Northumberland and they had met in Australia while both out backpacking and became okay. friends there. So Joanne and Caroline had grown close and ended up sharing a flat together in Sydney's Kings Cross district. And they had been last seen on Easter Saturday, April 18th of 1992, headed toward Kings Cross station, carrying sleeping bags and a tent with plans to hitchhike south. Okay. So when Joanne's parents, Ray and Jill Waters, didn't hear from their daughter, who would usually call home once a week, they started to get worried. Um, and her par- and Caroline's parents, Ian and Jacqueline, were not totally concerned about Caroline's whereabouts until she didn't call home for her dad's 58th birthday. And so both sets of parents started to get worried because they hadn't heard from their daughters in so long. So they all traveled to Australia to uh, try and find them, hoping maybe they were out in the outback with no access to a phone or they had Mm. picked up some side job and hadn't gotten a chance to call home. They were just desperate that something explained their absence. So 
the uh, one of the parents, it was Caroline's dad, Ian Clark, commented, we never gave up hope. We dredged around thinking of every conceivable thing the girls could be doing where they couldn't get in touch. Going out as, now this is a phrase I learned, going out as Girl Fridays on a yacht or working on a homestead without a telephone. Do you know what girl a Girl Fridays. Friday is? Is it like how Saturdays are for the boys? <laughs> but like Fridays are for the girls? What is I was it? like, I was like, what is that? I couldn't understand that sentence going out as Girl Fridays. It must, maybe it's a British thing, but... Girl a Friday, girl, I, it's like a girl's night, like girl's night out, GNO. No, it's not. Uh, oh. It's a Girl Friday is a female helper, especially a junior office worker or a personal assistant to a business executive. Oh. So it's like a job. Like, uh, So oh. he was saying maybe they went out as Girl Fridays on a yacht. So like they maybe showed up oh. as like assistants or helpers. Um, not at all. If, if this were a game of who wants to be a millionaire and... I had to guess out of four options what Girl Friday means. <laughs> that would have definitely been one I didn't even Even if on. the fourth one is like humpback whale or something where they always <laughs> put like, like the least obvious answer. Yeah, I would have been like, that's funky enough. It could mean something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was surprised because I, I, it must be a phrase because I Googled it and it immediately came up. So I'm sure it's just like something I just didn't recognize. Oh, um, fun. And probably a lot of people are listening like, yeah, duh. But I'd never heard it before. So yeah. fun fact, if you didn't Some- know. The more um, you know. It seems slightly derogatory to be a girl Friday, which just means you're like an assistant or a helper. But, you know, what? Yeah. Do I are there boy Fridays? I assume or is that not. Maybe like girls only get Fridays and like there's like boy Thursdays, you know? Well, I thought Saturdays were for the boys or do they get Thursdays too? Oh, God, I don't know. That sounds like a They get lot. everything, huh? Sounds like the patriarchy is back at it. <laughs> so <clears throat> obviously they found the bodies September 19th. They were not on a yacht somewhere. Unfortunately, they had been found dead. And the families obviously were heartbroken. So the investigation uh, and an autopsy revealed that the two women had been bound, stabbed, and shot. <gasps> and oh that their murderer God. had sexually assaulted them while chain smoking during the event. Oh, my which God. Which is, like, so odd because they, I guess they just found a bunch of cigarette butts at the site and determined That's... that it was all from the, the perpetrator. Okay. And also, like, that feels... It feels personal if it's like you're gonna get that, like, like tie them up like that. But then also to stab well, them, they're personal. I guess. But so, I. I mean, it, it, I guess it makes and they sense were that they foreigners. So I think at this like point, multiple it was like, stab wounds and shot wounds. Oh my god! Like, yeah, it's very, very brutal. The story. Fuck. It's disturbing. Um, so unfortunately that was how the two of them were found. And tragically, the murders of Caroline and Joanne launched the police into the home stretch of a case that they were trying to figure out, which was the murders by someone known as the backpacker killer. So these two oh, God. deaths were the final, like final hurrah of, you know, they, they put the police in the final stretch of figuring out who this backpacker killer actually was i guess that's good but also yeah i mean like there's and also that means they weren't the only two people who died from this person like there's a whole series of people you haven't even covered yet correct the mundo this was sort of the 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 hook you know the entry point into well done well done on the hook (laughs) but geez i kind of wish there wasn't more people that also deal with this don't i as well Um, so the public was first made aware of the fact that Joanne and Caroline had been missing during an England versus Australia rugby rugby match in June of 92. Uh, Police had actually interrupted the broadcast to show the girls faces on screen in the hope that uh, they would reach like a large number of people. 
mm-hmm. um, which makes sense. You yeah, know, you that... would want it in a sporting event that a ton oh, of people are if watching. If I went missing, I would want my face on like blimps, like whatever, wherever it could, <laughs> wherever you could put me, I would want. I if totally I don't get go it. missing, I would also like my face on a blimp if anyone's, okay, well, if anyone's offering. <laughs> I guess that's also. JK, JK. That's part of the Gemini flair there is like <laughs> just at all at all circumstances just we don't put... need a reason <laughs> <laughs> but when there is a reason by the way like we really need it so. but then you better follow through yeah uh so it was because of this huge amount of attention garnered by a missing re- persons report of joanna caroline that police began to connect other missing persons reports of foreign tourists in new south wales to these current uh this current case so there were two 19 year olds who had also disappeared at the end of 1989 and three German backpackers who disappeared in 1991. So for reasons unknown, it took a while for them to set up like an actual specialist task force. And I think one thing, at least to me, that is always striking is like how gigantic Australian wilderness is. Like, I feel like vast, vast. And and so it's I feel like it's hard to comprehend how like it sounds simple to be like, oh, well, these people went missing and these people went missing. They should have connected them. But in my head, I don't know. Part of it's like. They're several years apart in such a vast area. I don't know. Maybe I'm just looking at it. I know nothing about the Australian wilderness. I just assume it's pretty insane. I just like. It feels feels large. (laughs) I feel like I'm very. I feel like I have no idea. Like even my version of how big I'm thinking it is in my head is actually not as big as it is. Yeah. And I think I listened to that. I really like the show Case File, which is hosted by. It's an Australian host. So he covers a lot of Australian cases. And so many of them take place in the outback. And you j- just the way he describes it as like emptiness and so vast that you would never Ooh. even be able to cover every you know Jeez. mile of it is just so creepy. Um, so anyway, they finally started connecting like that there were multiple foreign tourists missing from the same area in Australia. And uh, a year went by, still nothing conclusive had turned up. And meanwhile, on the other side of the world, a young man named Paul Onions. Okay, well sorry i don't know which joke to make an onions joke or the fact that it's so similar to paul bunyan but okay here's the thing so you hadn't heard that name before right no okay because it's like a running joke on my favorite murder so like i knew all about paul onions before the story who the Um, fuck is wait he's been in many stories no no he's like from my favorite murder like they covered this and talked about paul onions and so it's become like a long-standing joke there so maybe that's why i thought i'd covered this before because i was like oh i know all about paul onions (laughs) but there's like a joke on my favorite murder where like karen and paul onions are like fall in love or something and like go off to get run away together i don't know i don't know the full story but paul onions was very striking i feel like if there was a paul mac and cheese i would totally fall in love with that <laughs> yeah. person but yeah paul, paul onions, onions is I don't know the about. greatest name um uh, he's never left my mindscape after hearing apparently about it. <laughs> he was <laughs> burnt <favorite>. in <laughs> burnt in yeah so it's just fascinating but so yeah i wanted to see if you'd heard that before but paul onions with the best name ever Uh, He lived in Birmingham, UK, and he had heard about the murders of Caroline and Joanne the Hitchhikers, and he was like, huh, this sounds really familiar to something traumatic that happened to me. Oh, shit. What happened to Paul Onions? So, Paul Onions had gone backpacking in Australia in 1990, and a man had offered him a ride. But when they turned into the Belangelo State Forest, the driver pulled a gun on him. (gasps) And robbed him, but he was able to escape the man 
And um, they do like a really wild reenactment of this in the movie. I don't know how accurate it is to what happened, but basically he was able to escape. And uh, according to the movie, he jumped in another family's car and was like, drive. Oh my God, uh, Paul Onions. Like, Paul okay, so now, now it's like Fast and Furious starring Paul Onions. Yeah, he's right. like, I'm Mr. Onions. Step aside. Yeah. <laughs> so Mr. I'm Onions. the big O you've been looking for. <laughs> o has stepped into the vehicle. Yeah. He was able to escape the man and reported to the the experience to the police but they never took any action on it and uh, his uh, report apparently even though he had made it to the police was lost so they didn't Hmm. even have the original report to connect it until he called and said like hey remember me this happened and they were like we don't have a report and he's like well i filed one but so basically he was like strange same location same kind of mo guy with a gun kind -hmm. of description and he called in and said this sounds familiar so we're gonna leave Mr. Onion's here. Don't worry. We'll be back. Leave him. him on the pantry shelf. Yeah. <laughs> Don't leave. Well, yeah. Leave him in a pantry. Yeah. Right? That's where you store onions. Yeah, that's Not a right. fridge. Not a not fridge. A fridge. No, no. No, no, no. Never that's, a fridge. That's, that's like Paul Apples. Paul Peppers. Something no, like that. You don't put an apple in the fridge either. Do you? I don't. Some people do. Some people you know do. What, you know what RJ puts in, in the fridge? What? Paul peanut butter. And I'm like, why do you put peanut butter in the fridge? Okay, I started doing that and Blaze was like, Can Blaze literally had a talk with me, like, can we not put peanut butter in the fridge? Why would like, you put something that's so, supposed to be smooth and soft in the fridge to harden in, and then you can't when, use it? Because when I was little, we would buy probably the reason why I think is because my mom would always buy the like super intense, like organic, whatever peanut butter. So you'd like and, stir like, it? Yeah, and she would always keep it in the fridge, but maybe it was either a German thing, it was either the fact that it was weird organic peanut butter, I'm not sure, but now it suddenly hit me like, oh, you don't need to put that in the fridge. So now I don't keep it in the fridge. But I did for a while. You know what blows my mind is that uh, maybe you already knew this. I'm sure several others do. But in the U.S., we put like eggs in the fridge and you're not supposed to. Well, actually, only if they're like fresh eggs from like a farm or, or oh. an actual Because like one of our family friends has chickens and he gave us a bunch of eggs. And my mom was like, do not put these in the fridge. They're not meant for the fridge. Whoa. But okay. If you buy them at the grocery store, I think you're supposed to refrigerate them. Got it. I mean, I still do, but I, I I'm pretty sure you are if they're like pasteurized. Got it. Anyways. Yeah. Fun fact, but fun fact. I, <laughs> I, I paused for a moment because I was like, how far of a tangent are we going to go? <laughs> it's past- food related. We could be gone for a long time. <laughs> well, apparently in ASL, there's a, like a, a pun that like only makes sense if you're speaking in ASL, but pasteurized milk, the, the way that it's signed is like the sign for like past your eyes. Wait, really? That's yeah. fun. I don't know what the actual uh, like hand movements are, but whatever past your eyes is, it's past your eyes milk. Oh, that's, and that's so cute. Pasteurized milk. Okay. Anyway, sorry. Paul onions or whatever we're doing with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Paul onions is in the pantry. We're going to just gently close the door, leave them there for a little bit. Yeah. So a couple weeks after Caroline and Joanne had been discovered on October 5th, 1993, Bruce Pryor, a man named Bruce Pryor, was searching for firewood out in the woods when he discovered a human thigh bone and a skull in the forest. Jesus. Yeah. So it would turn out to be a few kilometers away from where the bodies of Caroline and Joanne were found. So obviously police were called to the scene and they identified the remains as 19-year-old Phyllis Everest and James Gibson, a couple who had gone missing in 1989. So pathologists weren't able to conclusively determine the cause of death, but Phyllis had been stripped naked. Uh, Her bra and underwear were found cut with a knife, Mm. and it was also evident she had been gagged with her tights. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's really 
really dark. Um, and James, what, what year was this again? Or so what? That ha- they had gone missing in 1989, and the bodies were discovered in 1993. <gasps> so that whole time they've been missing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my so God. So a lot of this has taken place. A lot of this is like flashbacks to several years earlier. Oh, my God. Okay. So um, pathologists weren't able to. Da-da. They found out that... Um, she had been gagged with her tights. James' body was lying in fetal position 50 meters away from Phyllis's body. Ugh. He had been covered with sticks and branches and had been brutally stabbed like oh multiple times. Um, pretty dark stuff. Uh, by the time this examination of the bodies had been finished um, in October of 93, Superintendent Clive Small from the special task force was certain they were dealing with a serial killer. Because at this point, everything matched up a little too closely sure. to be coincidence. Yeah. So 20 detectives were assigned to the team. They had sniffer dogs that got involved. And then an extra 60 police officers were added to focus on the kind of like kilometer area where the bodies were found. Um, But according to the superintendent, the net is really Australia. We have something like 17 million people. We start from there and work in, which I'm like, that doesn't seem like a very productive way to yeah 17 million people inward but you know i guess you have to rule people out i don't know so a couple of weeks into the investigation on november 1st of 93 the remains of 20 year old german hitchhiker simone schmidl were also found and they were found five kilometers away from phyllis and james jesus and from the discovery of her body it was evident she had suffered multiple fatal stab wounds and she had last been seen on january 20th of 1991 when she was looking to hitchhike from Sydney to Melbourne to reunite with her mother, which is like extra sad. That, yeah. Wow. Um, really so uh, having found Simone, pe- police knew that there was a high chance they would find the other missing German hitchhikers who had been with her, which were 20 year old Anya Habschild and 21 year old Gabor Neugebauer. I don't know. Whoa. Say that again. Ga- Hang on. Gabor. And then his last name is Neugebauer or Neugebauer. Okay, got it. I was, <laughs> like, also, I was impressed, but also Gabor afraid Neugebauer. I didn't hear it right. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, a yeah. lot of syllables. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the other two, Anya and Gabor, were also had also gone missing with Simone. So once they found Simone's body, they were like, aha, oh. we have a feeling the other two will be around here as well. Got it. Okay. Jesus. Okay. Yeah, wow. there's a lot of young folks disappearing here. And were they also, because Simone was like on her way to meet up with her mom or do we know what the if they were also meeting up with their families so that's a good question they were all together because the families um had i think they were all i'm pretty sure they were all together um i don't totally know that's a really good question okay i don't want to say i don't want to guess just in case i'm wrong but in case there was any even more sad information to have to process yeah i'm not totally sure but um i do know anya and gabor they were a couple oh Uh, yeah, I don't know so, why that makes it worse, but it just makes it. I don't know it just, why. Yeah, their it's parents just, had already been like their parent Gabor's parents had come to Germany, come to Australia to do like TV shows and try to put the word out. Um, oh my god! But so the two of them they knew would be together. So unfortunately, so both of their bodies were found a few days later, uh, one kilometer away from Simone's body. So they're all just cropping up all these bodies. Um, Gabor How many found. is that now? That's one, two, three, four, five, six. So the five? first two two young women, right? Um, then Phyllis and James, a couple. Uh huh. And then, then these three, Simone, and then yeah, the the two, uh, Anya wow. and uh, oh my Gabor. god. So that's seven now, and that 
<laughs> yeah, it's very frightening. Um, so they found the bodies of Anya and Gabor, and they found that Gabor had been gagged, and he had been shot six times in the head. Oh, my God. And Anya had been decapitated with a sword or machete. Oh, my God. I know. Sorry. I know. Like, like what else am I supposed to say, though? Like, oh, my God. Yeah. And uh, they actually never found her head. <gasps> yeah. Oh, my God. I know. That's... It's really, really twisted. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. So, um, Dr. Peter Bradhurst, who is a forensic pathologist on the case, commented uh what immediately comes to mind when thinking about anya's murder is the style of ceremonial execution so even though um you know a lot of these people had just been like stabbed and shot now they had this like really intense beheading as part of the murders so it's just really so i mean i can't i can't think of anything more fucked up but like so did that at least give them some sort of indication like because that feel that doesn't just feel like a oh i'm i have the urge to kill and i'm going to randomly kill this person that feels like there was a a strategy behind it so like did that give them any insight or was this person just like he was was like like, hey i haven't beheaded someone before living large jesus christ okay yeah it doesn't end up becoming any sort of significant part of my first thought was like throw that into like a profile of like okay so now we're using swords like what does that mean or a ritual or nope Nope. Wow. Just ended oh up God. being part of part of the sick. the random process. Um, it's very sick. So, so obviously, like this is becoming this is breaking out in the media. So they're getting call thousands of calls and tips, um, and none had been particularly useful until November fifth, when a man came to the police with suspicions about his coworker. So his coworker's name was Robert Ivan Marco Malat. And the man reporting him was suspicious of Ivan because he had this really strange obsession with guns and wouldn't stop talking about them. Uh And he just was like, something's weird about this guy. Like, he he just had a bad feeling. So he reported this guy to the police. So Robert Ivan Marco Malat, also known as Ivan Malat, was born December 27th, 1944. He was the fourth son of 14 kids to Stephen and Margaret Malat. I'm sorry, Stephen and Margaret Duggar, I think is what you meant. Duggar. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) The Australian version of the Duggars. Right, right. Duggars, yeah. (laughs) Duggars. Stephen, at the time of Ivan's birth, was uh, 44. Ooh, okay. Margaret was 22. So when Margaret was 22, this was her fourth child, and then she would have 10 more. (laughs) So yikes. Girl, oh my God. Okay. Um, so Stephen, the dad, was known to be strict but fair. If you came home and you'd been in any sort of trouble, he'd whack you to the ground. Oh. Doesn't sound fair to me, but, you know, whatever. I feel, like that, I feel like that was their way of trying to make it seem sillier than it is. Like, just yeah. whack you to the ground yeah, instead sort of, of like, like, abuse me. Yeah, it, well, it's sort of like that phrase of, like, well, I was hit as a kid and yeah. only when I was bad and I deserved it. It's like, Yeah, well, I only well, got, I got smacked around every now and, and then. I, it's like, and I'm fine. Uh, okay. <laughs> and I'm fine. My eyes twitching. <laughs> and I'm fine. Yeah. Nothing's wrong with me. I promise. Yeah. I'm fine. I just want to hit my kid. Yeah, okay. Just, so. I'm just feeling extra <laughs> violent. So he, uh, when Ivan was four, his father pursued a career in market gardening and got the whole family into working on gardening, which sometimes involved them all being up until 2 a.m. watering the tomatoes 
Um, it just seemed like a strange family life. I don't know. Um, but they were a big family crammed into a three-bedroom house. Again, 14 <gasps> kids. I'm sorry. Yeah. But to be fair, your childhood house housed like <laughs> 13 children in three rooms. Yeah. 16 children. Yeah. 16. Oh, my God. So you, your house is a... If your house could hear a podcast and heard this exact sentence, they'd be, it's like smoking a cigarette right now being like, I know that feeling, you know? <laughs> well, let me see. One, two, three, four, five. But that house has seven bedrooms. So that I was. I thought a, you said all the kids were upstairs, though, in those um, three rooms. So the boys were. Yeah, that's true. The boys were all upstairs in the three bedrooms. Yeah, that's true. And that, how, how many boys were in that family of 16 13. children? So there you have it. 13 <laughs> kids in three rooms and nope, 14 you're kids totally in right. You're totally right. Um, but that. Yeah, no, you're totally, you're completely right. Um, it's bananas so, either way. The fact that there's yeah, two not, examples of it's, this, it's unbelievable. I don't, I can't picture it. How many bunk beds does it take? To, we'll oh have my to god, do the they math have later. so many bunk beds. We had to like take them out, and they were oh so god. heavy because they were like from the 50s, so they were like full wood, made of like um, yeah, American trees, solid wood, yeah, literal trees, yeah, <laughs> made of sequoia. You know, <laughs> it was bananas. But yeah, so that's a really good point. So they all crammed into this three-bedroom uh, house in Liverpool, uh, and they oh, – oh, my God. I'm literally reading my next bullet. It says they have triple-tier bunk beds. They had literal triple-tier bunk oh beds. Oh, my God. So. Were they made of, like – Made of trees. American trees. Whatever that fucking reads. <laughs> um, so the mother, Margaret, insisted that it wasn't tough raising all the kids because we worked hard and never had trouble with Ivan or none of them, really, which is huh. like, well, good for you. However, yeah. one of the brothers, Boris, revealed about uh, Ivan once that, quote, he was going to kill somebody from the age of 10. Holy it was shit. Built into him, he had a different psyche. He's a psychopath, and it just manifested itself with, I can do anything. Oh my God. So, so they've known since the kid was like 10 that they yeah, had to worry about him. That there's at least this one brother said that. Um, the mom wow. was like, I never had any problems, but the brother was like, no, no. I would trust he a sibling. I feel like kids usually tell siblings more than Yeah, the like you see the darker side, I think, of your siblings than like yeah. if your dad's going to beat you if you're bad. Maybe right. you don't admit that to your parents. But right. yeah. So at age 15, like his older brothers, Ivan left school to work on various building sites to help earn money for the family. And it was then that Ivan really started to get in trouble with the law. So at age 17, he was arrested and sent to juvie for six months because of a breaking and entering incident. And then during the 60s, he went to jail four times for breaking and entering, stealing, and car theft. And there were only four incidents, only four incidents recorded, but it's believed that there are a lot more that just never got put on paper. Got it. Um, and apparently, this is important because the family was so close, there was like an essentially unwritten rule in the family that they would never rat each other out. Oh. So it kind of adds a little bit of perspective to the whole case. Uh-huh. Yeah. So in 1971, the Malott family uh, had a tragedy in the family when Ivan's younger sister, youngest sister, Margaret, was killed in a car accident with her older brother, Wally. <gasps> um, and she was only 16 and it was a mile away from home. So it was like really, really Jeez. hard on everybody. And did, did Wally survive? Um, yes. Or, okay. So it was I just, believe Wally was survived and he was driving too, too, which is like, yikes. Wow. Poor Wally. Can't <sighs> yeah. even imagine the guilt. Yeah. Extra, extra bad. Um, so a month after his sister's death, he was charged with raping a woman he had picked up hitchhiking near Liverpool. Oh, holy shit. Okay. Yeah. And around this time of the 1971 crimes, other backpackers had begun to go missing. Um, he was also faced with two, and these weren't connected to him yet, obviously. Like these were just incidents that were occurring yeah. while he was also getting in trouble for other things with the law. 
Um, and that year he was also faced with two armed robbery charges, one of which was an actual bank that he had robbed. Oh. So he's not fucking wow. around here. Yeah, that's not small potatoes. No. And he got bail, fled to New Zealand for two years, was arrested upon his return. And apparently, according to crime and investigation, he was acquitted of the robbery charges and in a one-day trial beat the rape charge after one of the victims changed her story. Okay. And uh, there was evidence that Malat, age 26, had tied up both women and threatened them with a knife. But incredibly, the police task force investigating the backpacker murders never learned about the chilling similarities of those crimes until much later. Huh. So <laughs> he's like, it's just so frustrating because it's like he's like, like, he like was so close to getting caught a couple yes. times. Yes. It reminds me of who's that guy with the shoes that I hated. The guy that kept getting. Shoes. Oh, my the, God. The, the story you kept telling, it was a two-parter, and every time he, like, almost got oh, caught. Oh, Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that one maybe. was infuriating. <laughs> that one was pretty infuriating, but this definitely has tones of, undertones yeah. of that, of, like, oh, so we were so close so many times, and, and so many lives could have like, been wasn't, saved. Yeah, and the connection wasn't made because, like, they didn't get, they didn't realize the similarities until much later. That, of like, course. wait, this guy's been in trouble for this almost exact same crime 20 years ago. Jeez. But I think like, I, I, that would be like the hardest part for me for being a detective is like, if I found out if you later, something, yeah. Yeah. Oh my, I couldn't live with the guilt. I mean, and the thing is like, he had been totally acquitted of those charges. So like, it wasn't even like he had served time for them or anything. Right. So it wasn't right. like obvious. Um, so in 1975, it was thought that he had kind of ch changed his life around because he met his future wife, Karen, who was 17 at the time and pregnant, get this, with Ivan's cousin Mark's baby. <laughs> Hold on. Hang on. <laughs> I know. With, cous Mark, with Ivan's cousin's baby. Yes. Okay. I'm yeah. there. So his cousin's baby mama <laughs> was so, now So his, his cousin wife. and him were sleeping with behind, the same woman. Sleep uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. Mm -hmm, okay. So he married Karen. And they got a caravan together. Ivan raised Karen's son, a.k.a. his cousin's son, Jason, like his own. And they got married a couple years in. But when Ivan started working for the Department of Maine Roads and had to leave for multiple days, sometimes weeks to work, the marriage collapsed. And Ivan began having an affair with his... Okay, here we go. Write this down on your tree. Uh, hang on, hang on. Okay. <laughs> so before we get there... You're the best at this. Like, So if anyone can figure it out, it's you. I love a good... I love drama. I love a good family tree. I was Complex relationships. I was, I was born ready for this with a good you know, my small town Fredericksburg drama. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can figure it out. Okay. Let's go. So Ivan began an affair with his brother Walter's first wife, Maureen. Oh, that's it? Yeah. So, oh, so okay. he's raising his... So his sister-in-law. Yeah, so his sister-in-law. He's raising his cousin's baby with his new wife as his own baby, but then he has an affair with his sister-in-law. Sounds um, right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And Maureen... And it would later be revealed that his affair with Maureen would often be really violent. And Maureen called him oh. gun crazy. <gasps> uh, oh, Maureen, like, get out of there. Oh Maureen, my God. watch oh. out. Gun crazy, not good. So Valentine's Day in 1987, Karen, the wife, packed up uh -huh. her belongings and officially left with the kid. And in 1989, Ivan quit his regular job and began working under fake names to evade taxes and to stop Ooh. Karen from demanding child support. Oh. Um, and... This is not a coincidence, but around the same time as his divorce went through in 1991, hitchhikers Deborah Everest and James Gibson disappeared. So it seems like anytime he's having like a big crisis. 
that tracks People though, binge. right? Like yeah. that, tr- I think we've that seen tracks that. and that like, yeah. oh, when things are getting hard and you have like a bunch of, but they, they have like anger or energy they need to get out. It yep. leads to another crime. Yeah, exactly. Or like a control thing of like, you're losing control in your personal life. So you go out and play God with other people's lives. Bingo, bingo. Ugh. So back to the investigation of 1993, when they're finding all these bodies. Um, at this point, the only facts police were sure of was that whoever the killer was, they drove a car, had knowledge of the forest. Remember, uh, Ivan also worked for the road department, like built the roads. Oh, so yeah. that was okay. another thing that ended up being uh, kind of a, ding, ding, he ding. understood the roads and the, the forest. Um, and lived in or around the southwestern region of Sydney. So there was also a pattern that they discovered in that the crimes would happen around the holidays, usually Christmas and Easter, which is odd. See, I wonder if that's, I'm sure you're about to give me the answer, but just like throw in my (laughs) my ignorant two cents. Well, you know how like, at least for you and me, the holidays uh, with family. Are easy and happy and nothing ever goes wrong and nobody else. Yep. There have been a few times when I'm with my own family during Christmas where I'm like, I could kill someone right now. But <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't, think a lot of but people others might, yeah, it's like, you know? You get, it's like high tension. Like, And if he's yeah, already, completely. if anything is already like so quick to like make him have to like express his energy in violence, yeah. like, Chances are the holidays is a great well, time to do that. Well, and he has that. 13 siblings, so, like, imagine the In two gatherings. bedrooms. Can you imagine? <laughs> oh, my imagine God. Imagine the gatherings. Can't even imagine. So either Christmas or Easter, which is just, yeah, interesting pattern. And because the victims were either shot or stabbed, police also thought the killer was a hunter or interested in hunting. A.K.A. Hmm. maybe gun crazy. Just saying. Uh-huh. 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 So yep. needing more leads on November 5th of 1993, the New South Wales government offered the highest reward for information they had ever offered. And I think there was and it was five hundred thousand dollars in Holy Australian crap. currency, which uh, in U.S. dollars is three hundred and seventy K about three hundred sixty nine. So like a lot of money. For That's answers. Uh, a lot of guacamole. A lot of guacamole, <laughs> uh, a lot of Australian guac uh, yeah. being offered. And I think part of it was that a lot of other countries, these are all foreign tourists, not all of them, but several foreign tourists going missing or foreign hikers, young folks going missing. So a lot of countries were warning people to stop tourism to Australia, saying like, it's dangerous down there. Don't send sure. your kids there. People are getting attacked, especially yeah. tourists. So especially please don't young go. People, right. Yeah. And so... I think there was kind of a, a fear in Australia of like, oh my God, we're being pitched as this like really dangerous, horrible place for tourists to go. We need to fix our image, yada, yeah, yada. Yeah. So they put this huge reward out for any information. Um, and information hotlines unsurprisingly went through the roof. Within the first day, they got 5,100 calls <gasps> leading to 2,000 leads. I'm sorry, 10,000 leads, 2,000 suspects. So, Still. or not suspects, but people of interest, I guess. But yeah, 10,000 leads. Um, so as all of this information was coming out across the pond in the UK, remember Mr. Onions, he's been in the dark pantry. Oh, Mr. Onions, who could forget? <laughs> yeah, he's just, that man is nothing but layers. I'm nothing. ready. <laughs> What's he doing? So Mr. Onions, he's now 27 years old and he saw this information on, on TV and got kind of triggered in this way of like, this sounds really familiar to some trauma basically i'm still processing from when i was Uh, in australia right so he called the police and said uh he wanted to see if his experience could help uh with putting this serial killer mystery to bed once and for all so he called london's australian high commission and 
He was pretty directly or pretty immediately in direct contact with the task force, told them everything he knew. Um, and then they were like, okay, hang tight. We'll keep you on the record. And then just like left him alone for five months, which is like, I know they had a ton of calls, but it's so five frustrating. Five months is a long time. <laughs> yeah, five months like is a long time. time. <clears throat> so he's going back in the pantry. So just, back just the, wait. Also, yeah. Is he in Australia or is he no, in No, he's London? in the UK. The UK. Okay. Yeah. So I was going to make some joke about him being Paul Bloomin' Onion from like Outback, <laughs> but whatever. I oh guess he's not God. over there, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, also, I'm was. aware before the Australians get mad, I know y'all don't have Bloomin' Onions <laughs> over there. Just <laughs> Oh, I really want to just drive that home. Like, I just want to make them mad and say, no, I'm not going to do yeah. that. But, <laughs> I no, love a please good don't Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> Look, I all I know about Australia is what Outback Steakhouse has to offer, and I <laughs> love Outback Steakhouse. Therefore, I think I love Australia. That's the most American thinking I've yeah, ever thought in my life. It's pretty sad. Uh, I don't know too much about Australia except that we always wanted to go on tour, and now we can barely like make our way to Indiana. So I don't. Uh, the think... best we've got is Outback. Are you kidding yeah, me? That's oh the closest God. we can get. <laughs> Um, anyway, so he is in the pantry for a minute again, mm-hmm. but we'll mm-hmm. get back to him. So on November 16th, police completed their six week search of the area and held a minute silence for the victims. And in January of 1994, when senior constable Paul Gordon was going through records of travelers who had been attacked, he came across an acquittal for a man named Ivan Malott who had raped two hitchhikers and this oh, yeah. record had not been around yet. So he's finally discovering this and going, oh, that's weird. This sounds a lot like the case we have now. Mm. Um, so even though he was acquitted of it, he's like, well, the fact that he was charged at all is suspicious. Right. So as more information came in, Ivan Malat was turning into the number one suspect, but they didn't have enough um, evidence yet. So the police launched a surveillance task force to keep an eye on Malat's movements and whereabouts and creepily, at one point, they spotted Ivan <laughs> in his front window, staring back at police through binoculars as they like, oh watched my God. his house. Okay, Ooh. so hmm, something's Sketchy. a little fishy. Yep. Fishy. So back to Paul Onions. He's back. Oh, um, thank God. He obviously had some info that was going to help break the case. In April of 1994, he spoke to Australian police and revealed everything that had happened to him back in January of 1990. So what he said was he had gotten a ride from this guy. His attacker drove a white four-wheel drive, called himself Bill, and had a mustache like Australian cricketer Merv Hughes. Okay. I don't know who that is, but apparently <laughs> it's uh, it's a very noticeable mustache. Um, okay. He also said this guy was from a Yugoslav background, was divorced, and worked on the roads in town oh okay so they're like Seems well that's clicking. ivan <laughs> like yeah. he clicking. is from a yugoslav family um he has a big mustache he drives that exact car and he worked on the road so pretty fitting sure so onions was flown out to australia on may 2nd to go through videos and photos of various people who could have been his attacker and out of a handful of images he identified ivan malat saying i remember the mustache Oh, so it was that big old mustache that guy. Yeah, like what mustache? What is this? Is it like neon or something? What's happening <laughs> with this mustache? Let me show you if I can show you. His, let me see if I can show you his mustache. Because like it's vi- got to be pretty memorable for people to be like, oh yeah, that mustache. It's quite a stash. It is what I'll tell you right now. Um, is it like the Pringles man or something? Is that like what kind of mustache <laughs> we're working with here? Or? Here, it's like a. Um, let me see if you can see that. Oh, that's a big boy mustache. Yeah, it's that's an intense a, mustache. I call that a motorcycle mustache. Yeah, yeah, like the kind of. 
Yeah. Are those mutton chops? What are mutton chops? I don't no, know. No, mutton chops are the are the sideburns that like become like that go all like, the way. They're like very large and in charge okay, sideburns. Okay. Yeah, so he has just like the big old like wow. Yeah. The bike the biker the biker stash. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So he's like, I remember the mustache. Mm-hmm. And that's how he was like, that's definitely the guy. So it is May- a very it's not to like keep like honing on this, but it is like a really it's a statement piece on your face. Like, if you want to get away with shit, like, shouldn't you try You'd to blend so. in? You know? You'd think so. But um, he is kind of, he's been getting away with it for a long time. So. All right. You know. Fair enough. Who knows? Um, but yeah, no, I agree. It's definitely memorable. Um, so on May 21st, three detectives interviewed Ivan's brother, Alex, and Alex's wife, Joan, who, according to Murderpedia, handed the police a backpack that apparently Ivan had given to her, saying it belonged to a friend who had returned to New Zealand and didn't need it anymore. So oh, that's fishy. Okay. Fishy as hell. So uh, subsequent tests showed it had once belonged to missing German backpacker Simone Schmidt. <gasps> so police were also alerted when Joan apparently made some unsolicited comments about serial killers keeping trophies from their victims. So basically, after Paul Onions pointed him out in the lineup photos and then joan was like he gave me this backpack and then dna was like that's definitely simone's backpack they were like well this has got to be ivan Uh so at 6 36 on a.m on sunday may 22nd police arrived at ivan's home and called him ordering him to come outside with his hands in the air but ivan thought it was a prank call (laughs) (gasps) oh my god are you serious yeah so he didn't come out and they were like uh (laughs) It's like, um, buddy, your refrigerator isn't running. Like yeah. we, like we gotta <laughs> yeah. get come outside immediately. It's so awkward because it's like, buddy, you know you murdered a bunch of people. Like you think also, this is a like, prank call? If, it's pretty ballsy. Yeah, like also, I was gonna say if I've already done something like that, maybe we're different people. But I would have such unimaginable oh. guilt that if, uh-huh. like. No way am I Someone could look at me sideways call. and I'd go, you're right. Put I, my hands up, you know? Like, I would be like, yep, they got I'd me. I'd be like, you got me. You got yep. me. That's uh, uh, I could 100%. shoplift a piece of gum and be like, okay, you're right. The police are on to me. <laughs> oh, I my mean, God, I know. And so this guy's like, oh, it's a prank call, so he doesn't come out. So they had to call him three times before Jeez. he finally left the house. And what and they say the third time, like... My guy, this is not a prank. You're never going to guess who this is. (laughs) Apparently, we thought you'd guess by now, but it doesn't seem like you're going to figure it out. We didn't think you were bright, but we thought you were brighter than this. Um, Yeah. So they finally called him a third time, and he exited the house with his then-girlfriend, Charlinder Hughes. And after hours of interrogation, he was officially charged with the murders of seven backpackers and the attempted abduction of Paul Onions, how dare you, Uh on May 31st. So... He denied all of the charges, even though police literally found 38 22 cartridges in a tin, electrical tape similar to that at the murder scenes, a Bowie knife, a 32 Browning pistol, and a map of the Belangelo State Forest literally in his house. What a dummy. Like, I mean, also, like, for him to just be like, nah, it's not me. Like, I know what you think it is, but it's not me. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's very ballsy to be like, very ballsy. Me? No. Got the yeah, yeah. you you are on another planet, you my friends, idiots. with your puzzle <laughs> creations. I just yeah. love guns. That's all. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, and it was only a matter of time until police discovered Simone's water bottle and tent at his house. 
including and also Deborah Everest sleeping bag, Carolyn Clark's Olympus camera, foreign coins that belonged to the backpackers, and a picture of Ivan's girlfriend wearing a green and white Benetton top that had belonged to Caroline Clark. That'll do it. Yikes. All in his house. So that'll do it. His girlfriend's literally wearing a shirt that he took off of one of these women that he murdered, which is like, oh, my God, to find that out later. It must be horrifying. Oh, yeah, truly. I didn't even think about what she would be going through. Like, of oh, so what? where did this clothing come from again? Yeah, a it's dead my body. favorite top. Right, exactly. Oh, my Ugh, God. So haunted. Yikes. So to top this all off, they also found a pillowcase containing Caroline Clark's DNA in his garage. I mean, it's, like, just so obvious. He has literal trophies from every single one of them in his house with their DNA on it. Like, there's no question here. Um, right. This is, like, this is a... a the nail in the coffin. Nail in the coffin, you'd yeah. think. So more evidence was found in, weirdly enough, the his siblings' houses. So he had plenty of siblings to, to hide shit at. <laughs> right. He had literally a baker's dozen of siblings. <laughs> a literal of like, baker's dozen. It's like, you have oh this, God. you have this, you have this. But also, like, if you know that someone, like, you have to hide it, like, maybe you just shouldn't fucking have it. Yeah, you'd think so, right? But I guess maybe that's the psyche, the whole psychological thing of trophies. Like, I guess it's so. part of the risk and reward. I don't know. Whatever. It seems like <laughs> a bigger hassle than it should be. I would it's agree like, with you. If I have to live in fear that... Also, like, 13 people, in one way, that sounds like a perk for the murderer of, like, oh, 13 places to house this trophy. Yeah. But also, that's 13 people you got to keep track of and, like, yes. what they're doing with your stuff. Well, and that's why I mentioned earlier, too, like, that... um. They're really loyal, really tight knit family. And so it's kind of gets shady because it's confusing. Like, was anybody else involved? Did anybody else know about this? But Mm -hmm. yeah, so he it's it seems like a a handful. Let's just put it that way. A baker's dozen handful of people to, to keep track of. But so at Richard's house, Ivan had hidden Caroline Clark's tent and bedroll. At Walter's house, he had hidden the rifle that he had used to murder Anya and uh, Anya Habshid. At Alex's house, he had hidden Simone's backpack. And at their mom's house, police had found one of Simone's T-shirt and a T-shirt that had belonged to Paul Onions, like hidden hidden in her home. So you're right. Like this must just this must just be a trophy thing, because why else would you keep Paul Onions T-shirt like? And I know we say it every single time, but like it's just further proof that he like could not be cockier of like, I could just spread all of this evidence as far as I fucking want yeah. and no one's going to find out. And I out. can watch my girlfriend put on this t-shirt knowing that I murdered also, the person who wore it. That's extra insane. Like I like it makes me wonder if because the shirt belonged to Simone. Um this shirt belonged to Caroline. It makes me wonder like was Caroline his favorite? Well, I don't know. He kept t-shirts person? of all of them maybe this is just the one that he well like the one that he gave his girlfriend i imagine yeah. he knows that he he wants to see that most often maybe. instead of like hiding it in his like brother's shed or something like i don't this know one, that one feels gross like he's almost yeah, having like on them display role play or something yeah. it feels oh it's my like God. when you hear about murders giving like their significant other jewelry or something that they've yeah. taken off bodies and it's like it's on display it makes it so much sicker <sighs> okay yeah, they can like see awful. their trophies in action yeah it's really gross mm. so although it's pretty fucking obvious at least to us that uh this guy is the one um right, they yeah. had no hard evidence that placed him in the forest at the time of the deaths which is like okay but like you it's like he has i t-shirt. feel like that's not needed now yeah I've, i feel like at this point we can skip that step you can just like 
like check that one off anyway. You yeah, know? you'd think so. Um, so strangely, according to Murderpedia, Alex Malat, one of his brothers, told police as the second group of bodies was being discovered that in Easter of 1992. Now, this is just weird and I can't fully wrap my head around this. He says in Easter of 1992, he was driving past the Belangelo State Forest on a dirt road. He had seen two cars and in the back seats of these cars, he saw two girls tied up and gagged in the back seats. And police were like incredulous at this because he's giving detailed descriptions of what the men looked like, what the girls looked like, uh, the guns they had. Although he was saying he just passed them on the road. And okay. first part, they're like, this is really specific information for like just driving past. Second for a of all, quick glance. For a yeah. quick glance. And second of all, if you saw two girls back gagged in the backseat of Why cars. Why the hell didn't you call the police yeah. or like stop and help or something? Yeah. And so and so that was just really odd. And uh, the friend that he was with in the car could only partly verify the story. The guy he was with was like, well, yeah, I saw two cars, but I didn't like see anybody in that i didn't see that detailed of yeah. a murder and in, in the moment happening. and the other yeah. guy didn't say anything so it's like it's just a really weird tip um so nobody knows if he's just trying to get a reward but also like it just doesn't really make sense especially because mm. it's ivan's brother so it's like does he know something is he right making up a story like i don't totally get it um but investigators discovered later that so he had these license plate numbers from memory and they matched part of the registration of Ivan's car, one of Ivan's cars. So okay. he was like, Oh, I saw one of the license plates. It said like ACL blah, blah, blah. And it turns out that was like one of his brother's old cars. So okay. either he's either he actually saw something and like just never said anything, never noticed it was his brother's car or he like knew something and was trying to like give them an, backhanded tip uh, like, like give them a know. give them a nudge without breaking loyalty yeah, yes exactly that's my guess i don't know but that it's just weird but um he, nobody knows if he was like maybe trying to confuse police and like send them in the other direction or right yeah if, if it was like a kind of roundabout tip off to, to this day he maintains he told the complete truth about what he saw and he has no other information so okay. nobody really knows but i just thought that was so strange i was like it's not a coincidence that your brother would be reporting this to the police. Right. And it ended up being your brother. I just found that so odd. So I don't really know what that means, except that it, it again, goes back to like the siblings were so close and they had this bond to not rat each other out. So I don't I know guess, if those yeah. are related, but interesting. Interesting yeah. note. So during this time, it was also revealed that in 1974, when Ivan was awaiting his rape trial, he had confessed to a fellow prisoner named Noel Manning that in April of 1971, he picked up two 18-year-old girls who wanted to get to Melbourne from Liverpool. They had fallen asleep in the car, and then they had woken up with the sight of Malat pointing knives at them, telling them he was going to have sex with them, and then followed by, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to kill you. You won't scream when I cut your throats, will you? <gasps> oh, my God. Oh my God. I don't know how to, I don't, okay. I don't know what, I don't know. I don't, I would not, I would freeze. Obviously I'm freezing yep. now at the thought of it. It's beyond comprehension. He raped one of the young women. Uh, and then both of them, thank Christ, were able to escape when he pulled into a gas station. But so with this knowledge, police dug into even more unsolved race, rape cases because clearly, even though he had murdered seven people, like, there were people who had gotten away, like Paul Onions and this these yeah. two girls, these two young women. So 
they tried to go through unresolved rape cases to see if maybe the, the attacker fit Ivan's description and they could tack more cases to him. Um, and it turns out that in 1984, two young women hitchhiking down the Hume Highway were picked up and taken to Belangelo Forest. And a man they later identified as Ivan Malat had said to them, okay, girls, which one of you wants to go first? <gasps> I know, it's chilling. Oh my God. Yeah, it's sick. Um, and thankfully, these young women managed to escape as well, and they hid in the forest. And the the reenactment of this in that movie is so terrifying, where they're, like, in the woods hiding. It, I mean, terrifying. I don't know. Maybe I'm going soft, but, like, holy shit, I was freaking out. Um, oh, my God. So they were able to escape and hide in the forest while Ivan tried to hunt them down. And uh, rather on brand for him, police discovered that the date of this attack uh, or potential attack coincided with one of Ivan's breakups with Karen. So clearly uh, okay. he's going through some personal so shit, taking it out on taking mm, it out. Yep. Other people. So we're almost to the end here. Ivan's trial at Campbelltown local court in Sydney began in October of 94 in what would be a particularly harrowing and gruesome trial because the evidence was just like so insane. Gnarly. Yeah. yeah. And like just stacking up on itself. Um, Ivan's ex-wife, Karen, and Paul Onions were amongst those to take the stand and give evidence against Ivan. But when Ivan took the stand, he claimed he had never been to the Belangelo State Forest and had no clue how any of the victim's belongings ended up in his and his family members' homes. <clears throat> Which is like, okay, really? well, I don't really care for anything he says at this I point. I don't care so. for it either. This yeah. is what the judge said, which, like, cracks me up. The judge replied... You ask the jury to accept that someone broke into your locked house, despite the burglar alarm, planted a Ruger rifle bolt in the ceiling of your garage, dropped the weapons receiver in one of your boots in the hall cupboard, making sure both gun parts were painted in the same camouflage colors you use on your firearms, then left a single fired cartridge linked to the murder of Miss Caroline Clark in a plastic bag on the bed in a spare room, to which Ivan responded, they must have. <laughs> Oh, my God. Okay. Well. So he really is just sticking to his guns, for lack of a better word. Just, like, blind faith Blindly that something trying to get will people. get him off. Yeah. Like, just blind confidence that this is going to work. Um, so the prosecution's main line of argument was that while there can be absolutely no doubt that whoever committed all eight offenses must be within Ivan's family, the Malat family, or very, very closely associated with if there was any doubt that Ivan was the guilty party, he should be given the benefit of the doubt. So his own... <laughs> Defense was like, yes, yes, it's very obvious someone in the Malat family is involved, but we can't be 100% sure it's Ivan. Okay. Which I guess is the safest way to go about this, because, like, obviously, one like, of them did You don't did have it. to be 100%. You can be 99.99% sure, like, you know. Not in a court. Not if you if you have any room for innocence, Ugh, you know. Whatever. Yeah, I, this so, is why I don't work in the legal world. Because... <laughs> oh, this is why? This is why. This, <laughs> this is the only is reason. The only one. Yeah, yeah. Because I'd be like horse shit. We both know what's going on he over did here. It. Yeah. <clears throat> um. So, however, on January, I'm sorry, July 27th, 1996, after a four-month trial and 20 hours of deliberation, the foreman read out guilty verdicts to all charges. They found Ivan guilty of all charges. Good. Um, and there are some theories actually that Ivan did not act <clears throat> alone, which is why I wonder about that one brother kind of saying that weird story to police about oh. seeing all those people. I don't know. But some people do think that he had somebody helping him. Um, for example, uh, 
Gabor's dad mm-hmm. remains convinced that Malat was not alone, saying Gabor was six foot one inches tall or 1.86 meters and very strong. When we sometimes went to the forest to cut firewood, he would cut huge logs and carry whole stumps. It would have taken two men to kill him. So some people oh. are like fully convinced that um, he didn't act alone or that at least maybe his siblings knew more than they let on. I mean, if um, he was being violent to strangers, I'm sure he was threatening his siblings or could have, you know, he could have, like, or you have if, to help or. Or if one of his brothers knew from age 10 that his brother was a psychopath, like, yeah. you know, they clearly knew more than you'd think, than you'd hope. Um, yeah, so that's a good point. Ivan was moved into a cell in Maitland Bay, north of Sydney, where he was classified in his, as an A2 maximum security inmate. He is known as one of Australia's most terrifying serial killers. And two years ago, at 4.07 a.m. on October 27th, 2019, the 74-year-old succumbed to esophageal cancer and passed away. And that is the story of Ivan Malat, the backpacker murderer. Whoa. Woof. So I decided that the way we should end this uh-huh. is because our only frame of reference for Australia is Outback Steakhouse, that we should educate ourselves on Australia a little bit. Okay, great. Um, just to get the bad well, taste of a murderer st- out of our mouth. I still remember the first thing we talked about Australia in like a very early episode about goon. Do you remember that? Yeah. Okay. So I'll skip that one. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> I remember you being very excited about it. Very excited about it. Okay. So here are just some random little things to, you know, cleanse our palate after that kind Great. of story. Here are fun facts about Australia. If you visit one new beach in Australia every day, it would take you 27 years to see Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Here's another one, something I hate and a reason why I actually don't like Australia. Each year, Brisbane, 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 Brisbane. each year, Brisbane hosts the world championships of cockroach racing. (gasps) What the fuck? It's a fun fact that is not very fun. Uh, our favorite kind of fun fact. Our favorite kind. Australia has three times more sheep than people. Oh, my God. But that's what I'm saying. They're just like a massive. And they have 17 million people. So, like, insane. it's a lot of sheep. Uh, let's see. Uh, Australia is the second country in the world to give women the right to vote in 1902. Thank you, Australia. I did remember that from uh, they did this on uh, my dad wrote a porno. They did an Australia episode where they. And they were trying to figure out what goon was. And I was like yeah. cracking up because they couldn't like figure it out. And I was like, I'll tell you. <laughs> um, well, uh, this one you'll like, Christine. There okay. are 60 designated wine regions in Australia. Oh, I like that. Producing approximately 1.35 trillion bottles of wine each Holy year. Holy mother of God. That's a lot of wine. There's also Australia God. is the home to the longest fence in the world, which was meant to keep dingoes away from fertile land. And the oh, fence wow. is over 5,600 kilometers long. Wowza. Uh, and then also I found some animal ones also, some an- animal uh, facts, which I think Love are about. The By the way, that was, that was from makemytrip.com. Okay. And these are experienceoz.com.au, the animal okay. facts. All right. Uh, let's see. Wombat poop is shaped like a cube. What? Tasmanian devils have the strongest bite per body size of any <gasps> mammal. Oh, my God. This is, I tell you, Australia's a scary place. <laughs> Ooh, here's a fun one. Australia has a larger population of camels than Egypt. Really? Interesting. Fun fact, the record jump recorded by a kangaroo 
is nine meters, aka thirty feet, in a single leap. Holy Goodbye. crap! That thing would kick my ass. I told you they got those mu- the tushy muscles oh, that know. push them. That's what I'm saying. It was a bone, though, not a muscle. You know. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the poop one freaks me out too. The um that wombat poop is shaped like a That's, cube. How, I don't understand that. How? What is your butthole look like Physiologically, to be able to push I that can't out grasp what that would mean yeah um the australian emu can run <laughs> almost 30 miles an hour which is 45 kilometers an hour dear god see ya and uh, look and also 17 of the world's most poisonous snakes are in australia it's home to 1500 types of spiders i mean are you fucking kidding and then me? all these serial killers like oh my god a scary the place platypus they are highly poisonous and have enough poison to kill a dog or make a human seriously ill actually you know what i'm back to not wanting to go back to australia um, <laughs> i love you australia here's another the, uh, the one i'll end on is one that you and i can both relate to right okay. now koalas sleep about 20 hours per day that i can get behind that i'm i'm down with i'm feeling yeah. the koala life style anyway i hope that that cleansed the pout a little bit about the things we do like about Don't australia they also so. carry stds koalas Maybe. I also know that they're, like, not actually as cuddly and sweet as you think yeah, they are. Yeah, I think you're they're supposed like, to be more careful around them. There's a picture, like, if you look up, like, what an angry koala bear looks like, it is Oh, God. Shocking. It <laughs> yeah, is they shocking. carry uh, chlamydia. So, oh, fun fact. Lydia chlamydia. Um, <laughs> angry koala. Oh, yeah. Just, <laughs> I mean, just Google angry koala. Let me send you my favorite picture of an angry okay. koala. And then um, okay. you... Uh, we'll put this on our Instagram also because after this is all just... the like travel time travel photos, just an angry koala. So if you haven't listened to the end of the episode, you just won't get the joke. Here, Christine, you tell me what you think about okay. snuggling this little baby. Holy! Why would you send me that? That looks like a fucking horror movie. Oh, uh, is that God. real? Any... It's real. Why is it all wet? I'd be angry too. Well, okay, maybe that's why it's mad, but. <laughs> Someone dumped something on him. Um, anyway, there's all that. Well, can I tell you before, since we only have a couple weeks left of this game, what size my baby is this week? Yeah. What was the last thing I told you? Was it Buzz Lightyear? Uh, Buzz Lightyear. Did I tell you Winnie the Pooh's jar of honey yet? Yes. Okay. So then this week it's Princess Buttercup's crown in the Princess Bride. <gasps> so that's fun. That is fun. That's and, fun. Uh, also like a speak and spell. Oh, I do love See a good that? speak and spell. Yeah. You so. know, I always, they always freaked me out because they sounded like demons. The uh, speak like and spell, the, yeah, they're scary. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's kind of like a Teddy Ruxpin, like, things it shouldn't was, be talking. It was like the original um, Microsoft Sam. Yes, robotic like, voice. Hello. Like, Ooh. Your baby has teeth. <laughs> hello. <laughs> Fresh. Your baby is the size of Princess Buttercup's crown. <laughs> also, another pointy object. So Another pointy Just object. Oh, your kid's going to, I think that's, uh, it's hinting that your child's going to have an sharp. affinity for sharp objects. Sharp so look great. out. <laughs> oh, well, anyway, thank you everyone for listening. And, uh, I guess that's, is that it? Have Are we sweet good? dreams. We'll sweet see you next dreams. week. <laughs> and that's why we drink with Paul Onions. Oh, I miss him. What makes the Carnival Cruise fun? That's up to you. Maybe it's a ride on boat, a roller coaster at sea, or a deep tissue massage at the spa. Creole-inspired cuisine at Emerald's Bistro to laid-back bites at Guy's Burger Joint. Excursions that take you from jungle adventures to beach days at Mahogany Bay and sunsets from the top deck. Long story short, no one does fun like Carnival. Carnival, choose fun. Ships Registry, Bahamas, Panama.